Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Blush. I'm your host, Tiva, and can we just take a moment for the straight hair? Have I washed it? No, I have not. The last time I washed it was right before Christmas, which honestly isn't that long ago, given that the time that I washed it before that was right before Labor Day. But enough about my wonderful hygiene. Um, let's move right along into today's episode. Now, the way that I re-traumatized my ex-boyfriend from nine years ago in preparation for this episode, I mean, give her the Pulitzer. She is an investigative journalist. We're going to have such a fun time together. Let's fucking get into it. <sighs> I have to say, I hope you guys are having a better day than me. This whole thing with my dog, Samantha, who, by the way, is hovering outside of the studio, chomping at the bit to go out, and I just need her to wait one hour so I can record this, but she's probably going to have a fucking accident like she has 14 times today in the middle of the night. Okay, so at like 2 a.m., she um, poops in her bed. So I clean up the poop. I move the bed out of the room to wash it in the morning. She has two other beds, so it's fine. I She already had a second bed in the bedroom. It was fine. And then at 4 a.m., I wake up to the sound of her scurrying around. And I get up to see what it is, and she's peed in the hallway. I stepped in the pee. I then dragged the pee all over the apartment. So I had to like hobble over to the shower, wash my feet, clean the pee up from all over the floor, get back into bed. I can't fall asleep. Get up at six, take her out. She pees in the elevator. We go out. I come back. I have to keep. Excuse me, I have to clean the pee from the elevator. Um, she has another accident then when we're inside. I have to clean up again. This is now the fourth accident that she's had today, and it's 6.30 a.m. I've slept like four and a half hours. So I get my day started. I'm doing my work, whatever. I'm like, it's going to be a good day. It's going to be a good day. You know, every day that goes on, two things are happening. Number one, I'm continuing to work on myself, to work on my nervous system. I'm doing all my practices. I'm really strengthening myself. And I'm really constantly trying to reframe things and have a positive attitude. Simultaneously, Another day that goes by is another day that I have not slept properly. And that shit adds up. They call it sleep debt for a reason because it's debt. It builds up. And every day it kind of gets a little bit more scary. And today was one of those days where I was like something bad could happen because I am so out of it. So I get to solid core. I'm walking down the stairs to go into the studio and I nearly tripped and fell down all of the stairs, which scared the shit out of me. And I was like, oh my God. And you know what scares me about something happening to me? If I go down, there's no one to take care of the dog. And so in my head, I'm like, holy shit, like what would I have done if I'd fallen down the stairs and I had to go to the hospital? Like Sam would for sure pee and poop everywhere. <laughs> so whatever. I go through the class. I get out. I'm walking home and I don't know what happened. I was in the middle of sending my friend a voice memo and all of a sudden I just went flying to the ground. I don't know if I tripped or if I got dizzy or like if I was just losing. Con I don't know exactly what the fuck happened, but all of a sudden I'm on the sidewalk and I, I'm so out of it that I can't even stand up anymore. Like I was just sitting there dizzy, like crying, frustrated, 
for minutes, minutes. I'm on a New York City sidewalk, okay? Like Prince Street in Nolita. That shit is dirty as fuck. Do you know how dirty New York is? Do you think the worst thing that happens on New York City sidewalks is my dog pees and poops there? No, 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 okay? Let me give you a glimpse into the types of things that go on on New York City sidewalks, okay? There is a man... An unhoused man who I'm a huge fan of, actually, who hangs out on my street and he likes to collect things from people like people's clothes. Sam is literally scratching at the door. Sam, can you just chill out for one hour while I record this podcast? How do you think we're paying for your vet bills, Sam? Oh, I love you so much. No, no, no. Can you just please? Mommy needs to work. Okay, anyway, um, so there's this unhoused man who hangs out on my street who I'm a huge, huge fan of, and he likes to collect things from people, like take people's things. Um, He likes to collect like dog feces. He likes to collect things out of the garbage. He just likes to collect things. And then he burns said things, and then he collects the ashes of said things. And then as people walk by him, He throws the ashes at people, okay? That is a glimpse into what New York City is like, okay? Like, the sidewalks are disgusting. Now, is that, like, the most disgusting thing that happens on the sidewalks? No. The sidewalks are fucking disgusting, and I'm just sitting on the fucking sidewalk because I can't get up. That is how out of it I am at this point. Like, I don't know any given day that I'm going to be alive the next day. And I mean, none of us really know if we're going to be alive. But like, it's no joke to not have slept for this long. Like, it is not funny. And you know what is keeping me going? Like, you know what is like giving me adrenaline? You know what's fueling me? It's rage. It's rage for fucking idiots. Like, The way, I'm not even joking, what brought me to life earlier was complaining about a friend who recently had been like, and I can really relate to you on the sleeplessness because I hurt my neck and I couldn't sleep. And I was like, oh, did you? Are you really trying to fucking compare that to me only ever even having the opportunity to be in bed for six hours every night? And those six hours, my dog is possessed by the spirit of Satan himself. It's like a sequel to the exorcist in this apartment between the hours of midnight and 6 a.m. and you hurt your neck. And so you think that's comparable? Are you out of your fucking mind? In the words of the great Lala Kent, are you trying to get popped? (laughs) Fueled by rage. (laughs) Um, no, but seriously, unless you are the parent of a child who's under the age of like, I'm not an expert in child development. I'd say like under the age of four or five, I think is reasonable, right? Certainly parents of newborns can more than relate, right? Like I'm not even going to compare my situation to your situation, okay? I can leave my dog at home for an hour and go to solid court. Like you can't just like fucking leave your newborn to fend for itself for an hour is my understanding. Although I don't fully understand why. Why can't you just leave it in the crib? I know that you can't, but it just seems like you should. Like they're not doing much, but... But um, but like, no, I'm not going to compare my situation to you having a human baby. I understand that you have a much harder. And then they keep hitting these fucking sleep regressions, right? Um, I have a friend who right now is like transitioning her child um, to a new bed and the, the child is assaulting her all night long. <laughs> so like, at least my dog isn't doing that, right? And then the other p- group of people who are allowed to say that they relate to me are people who were take care take excuse me caretaking for elderly sick people right like a few months ago my parents were taking care of my mom's aunt who had dementia and boy oh boy was that a trip for them okay they're allowed to say that they relate to me like that shit is not for the faint of heart I have another friend who has a dad who's really sick right now who actually doesn't have dementia but he's old and he's sick and she's taking care of him and she's single and it's really hard on her she's allowed to say that she relates to me but you hurt your neck no bitch you cannot relate to me okay you cannot 
not compare your neck hurting to my hell, okay? Like, you don't sleep well at night? Learn to sleep better. Learn to sleep better, okay? You have the luxury of being able to fix your sleep situation. Take a fucking sleeping pill for all I give a shit, okay? Go buy some Benadryl. It's over the fucking counter. You know what you're not allowed to do? Compare your lack of sleep to me having to deal with a monster peeing and pooping everywhere. And then on top of that, having the emotional toll of not knowing if this is going to be the last night that said monster who I fucking love is going to pee and poo everywhere. So this podcast is officially brought to you by Rage. And we love Rage because without Rage, I think I'd be dead right now. So Speaking of rage, we're going to talk about going crazy in dating. Now, we started this episode a couple of weeks ago, and I kind of gave you a bit of an overview of my cycle that I would go through in relationships, in dating, right? Sam, if you don't go away, I will lose my fucking mind. Like I, the anxiety that I have when she just stands outside of this room, I cannot, like no matter how many times you scratch at the door, it's not going to make it wrap up sooner. Okay. So I talked about the cycle that I go through in really, well, that I used to go through in relationships. Thank God for Ozzy, right? For Ozzy's sake, the cycle has ended. But the cycle that I used to go through in relationships. But we didn't really talk about the types of crazy. And I think it's really important to touch on these because, well, because why not, right? <laughs> No, because they're all really stemming from the same place. And I think that they're so relatable. And I also think that sometimes you don't even realize that you're doing some of these things. Like I know when I was doing a lot of these things, I didn't realize how much I was doing them. And one of my favorite historic moves was trying to make guys jealous. Like I, okay, when I was in law school, I had already, I'd already been celibate for a few years at that point. And I remember my first year of law school, I nearly said freshman year. That's not what you call it. You do call it 1L though. My 1L spring, my 1L fall, I didn't really have a lot of friends. Like it took a while for me to really make friends in law school. But by 1L spring, I had kind of formed this group. No, that's not true. Beginning of 1L spring is when I really started to kind of like find my crew in law school. And there is this guy who went to my law school who we will call Kumar. And Kumar was very popular, really well liked. And Kumar going into law school had had a girlfriend for five years. But beginning of spring semester of 1L, they had broken up, allegedly. I heard this through the grapevine. And um, him and I, you know, would talk at parties and stuff. And, like, we would be a little bit flirty, but, like, nothing major. But, yeah, he was, like, kind of cute, but, like, really just very charismatic, very outgoing. You know those guys who were, like, not, like, the fuck boy on campus, not, like, the guy that every girl wants to fuck, but the guy who's friends with every. Like he's definitely friends with all the popular kids, but he's also really nice and engaging and friendly with all of the other people in the class too. I just know Sam is going to pee in the elevator after this, by the way. Like SOS, I might not be alive when this podcast comes out. <laughs> I'm just, you know what this show has turned into? A cry for help. And it's not even a cry for help. It's a scream for help. It's a me yelling at everyone for help. I'm not okay. Send help. Anyway, also, like, I know that the reason I'm spiraling more is because next week we're doing another blood test to see if she is responding to the switch in medication, which is quite literally the only hope that we have. So if she's not, that's it. Game over. Like, it's at that point, like, we really don't know how long she has to live. So... Yeah. Okay, anyway. um, Kumar. <laughs> so... I, yeah, we're like kind of flirty, whatever. He's just, you know, that type of guy though, right? Like, it's such a common trope of guy, the guy who's friends with everyone and who everyone really likes and no one can say anything bad about. And him and I would like kind of talk, kind of flirt, whatever, no big deal. 
And then this would kind of go on for a while. And I remember like at bar review nights, which were like Thursday nights, everyone in law school goes to a bar. Like we'd always talk, we'd always flirt. And like, I remember it started to get to the point where I was like, okay, I think there's something there. Like, I think he's into me. Like he'd get excited when he saw me. I'd get excited when I saw him. And then one night there was, um, I don't even know what it's called anymore, but every year in the spring semester, the law school would put on some kind of like performance. Like there was like singing, dancing, sketches, things like that. And I never auditioned to be in it because at the time I really repressed the part of myself that really like wanted the spotlight and wanted to be seen. And I was like really in my shy girl era and had I'd really convinced myself that like, no, I don't want to be the center of attention. Like I just want to get along with everyone. And I just like, you know, like I was in that phase of my life. Like I really wasn't being honest about who I was. Plus on top of that, let's be real. I have no fucking talents, right? Like, I mean, if someone wanted me on stage so I could like scream at everyone about how your neck doesn't matter and my (laughs) problem are bigger than yours yes that I could do (laughs) a bitch can't sing a bitch cannot dance and you know what acting I actually think that I could act because I know that I've pretended to be a lot of different people throughout my life none of which were authentic to who I actually am and I really had a lot of people fooled so I bet acting I could actually hack but um, all the other things. A bitch has no talent. Anyway, so it was that night. I, I can't believe I can't remember what it's called because all of these law school things have little cutesy names. Anyway, so it was that night. It was the play night and he was in a ton of the, you know, dances, songs, etc. that night. And, you know, just seeing him on stage, I was like, ooh, like the guy, the man of the hour, like I'm so into him. And so everyone's going out afterwards. And so while we're out, we're like, you know, taking shots together and joking and laughing. And then, you know, a more select group goes to a secondary location and him and I are still like flirting, hanging, whatever. And then we go to a third location and there's dancing and we're dancing and we're grinding. And it's like that next song you know that next song too close it's like oh, I know I'm grinding I get so excited you know na, 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 I try back and hide it see that this is why I'm not on stage for singing like it's on, you know what song I'm talking about like the entire song is basically about how he has a boner and he's like can you feel the boner while we're grinding and the answer is yes Yes. Like if you have an adult sized penis, like it doesn't even have to be big. Yes, we can feel the boner while we're grinding. Okay, like you don't need to sing an entire song about it. I can't believe his producer wasn't like, hey, um, Mr. Next. Yeah, we can feel the boner. So maybe like you could have done a quick Google search on this one and we could just record a song about like literally anything else, anything else. Um, Anyway. So we're like grinding, we're dancing, we're taking shots, we're laughing, we're, you know, we're doing all the things. And then at the very end of the night, we end up at his place. And I remember, I like remember this still so vividly. I'm sitting on top of the kitchen counter. He's standing in front of me. We're like playing music. We're laughing. We're making jokes. Like it's, it's 4 a.m. Like it's, it's still going. And I'm a bitch who usually likes to be in bed way earlier. And at the time I wasn't vegan. I remember I used to go home after a night like that and order from Afghan Kebab Palace. And they would make these wings that were so fucking good they were like tandoori grilled wings and they were just so juicy like it was like the chicken really really was fatty before it was murdered and it just mm, mm, mm. and it would come with the best ranch anyway but you know once in a while if you're really motivated and fueled by having a crush on someone you're willing to sacrifice your late night eats to continue hanging out all night and that was one of those nights and so we're like hanging out I'm sitting on the kitchen counter I remember I like kind of leaned in for a kiss and he's like I can't and that's when I realized he was back together with that fucking bitch that he had been dating for five years who by the way was like not cute not interesting not fun not fun to be around. It's beyond me what he saw in that girl. 
Anyway, so I love how I'm like dragging her. This has like nothing to do with her. I'm sure she's a wonderful person who did not ask for any of this. And actually like he was kind of a shitty, shady guy for like constantly flirting with me and like taking it right to the brink while he had a girlfriend of five years, mind you. Anyway, so that was the first person that I had crushed on in a really, really, really long time and nothing happened. And then the summer after 1L, he actually broke up with her, Um, but I hadn't seen him. And there was this other guy who we will call Harold. Now, Harold didn't actually go to our law school, but he was really close friends with one of my close friends in law school. And so one night when we were all out, the law school friend invited Harold out. And Harold was this tall guy with a very big personality. Like, you know, the type of guy who, if he's in a situation, he's never in the background. Like, he is the loudest person there, the most center of attention person there. Like, the type of guy who's a little bit divisive. Like, a lot of people, like, think he's, like, fun and great. And, like, a lot of people are like, okay, that's, like, way too much. Like, way too much. Like, you need to be able to have a little bit of give and take. That's the type of guy that Harold is. So the first time that I had met Harold was um, probably like spring of 1L year. And I remember I was kind of like attracted to him the first time that I met him. And there was a very common theme before that, before I had really seen and acknowledged and accepted the part of myself that wanted to be seen more and wanted to be in the spotlight, I was always attracted to guys who had really big personalities and were in the spotlight. And it's because I couldn't accept this part of myself. So I was seeking it out through other people and specifically through romantic partnership. I think that's why a lot of women date men for money. It's because like they just want to be rich themselves, but they don't subconsciously believe that it's an option for them. So they're like, well, I can date into it. And it was a similar thing with me with like spotlight and attention. I didn't think that I was capable of having the spotlight on myself. So I was seeking it out through romantic partnership. Anyway, so Harold. So that was the first time that we met, whatever. And then there were like a few other times that we met, but then the summer after 1L year, right before 2L started in August, I remember there was this one night where we were out for this girl's birthday, Olivia, and um, that's when Harold and I started to get close. So after the birthday, we all went to another bar, him and I were hanging out, and then he ended up coming back to my place with me, and he ended up staying over, and it was very platonic. We just like were laying in my bed all night talking about like, all sorts of things. And I really got to see this very different side to Harold, like a very deeper side. Like he really opened up about a lot of his insecurities and his family background and like things with his dad and things with his brother and just all of these really deep things. And we really bonded and it wasn't quite romantic, but it like there was a part of me that was like, there could be something there. And so after that, like the following weekend, he ended up staying over again. Oh, and another thing I should add to this story during this time, I had a very intense sleeping. Oh my God, I nearly said sleeping disorder. You can tell how fucking sleep deprived I am. No, I had a very serious eating disorder. And so I loved like that Harold would stay over because I wouldn't eat all day. Like that's, that was my eating disorder thing. And I, like if I was going out, I wouldn't eat until after I'd come home from being out. Like I literally wouldn't eat at all until I was home alone. So like if it was just a normal night, I had a rule that I couldn't eat till after nine. But like if it was like a going out night, like I might not eat until like 4 a.m. when I came home from being out. But if a guy came home with me, then I just wouldn't eat at all. And that was my fucking favorite. So I loved like coming home with Harold and like staying up all night or sleeping or whatever, but just not eating. Right. And so that's a part of why I was perpetuating it, too, because like he'd come over and he'd stay the night and I wouldn't eat. And so then one night when we had been out, we made out and then he starts staying over pretty regularly. I was very skinny during this phase. He was staying over like four nights a week. So there were like four days a week where I literally was consuming zero food at all. Um 
So yeah, I'm really, really skinny during this phase. And the thing is, it was a very strange dynamic because we weren't like really hooking up. We were just like kind of making out and cuddling. And we were very like, no, we're friends. Like we're not. And my reasoning for that, I was really, really into him, but I didn't like... God, I had so many fucking issues and I didn't like like outward romance and dating and things like that. Like I didn't want a guy to take me out on dates like my ideal dream scenario at the time was to just be really good friends with a guy and have a lot of sexual tension. And then eventually one day we just like have sex and we're in a relationship and we don't even go through that awkward like talking stage or whatever. That was my ideal scenario, right? I don't know what the fuck was going on in Harold's head. Like I think he had his own mental health issues that we're not here to talk about. And anyway, so we're like hanging out regularly. We're like kind of making out whatever. I definitely had a huge thing for him. I think he was into me, but he also was very active on Tinder and would go out with girls and sometimes would invite girls out with us. And he kind of would even say that he was like kind of trying to make me jealous, like he was kind of messy. But again, we're not here to talk about Harold and Harold's problems and Harold's situations. But when I started to feel really insecure, then going back to Kumar, Kumar had actually broken up with his girlfriend at this point. And when I'd see him out, he'd be really flirty with me. Now, I at this point, really, really, really liked Harold. Like, yeah, there was still like a little bit of attraction and interest in Kumar, especially because he was so popular in law school. But I really liked Harold. Like I had really bonded with Harold on a really deep level in a way that I just hadn't with Kumar, you know? So... By the way, Harold and Kumar knew each other, too, because we were all kind of like in the same circle of friends. Even though Harold didn't go to law school with us, he still was around enough. Um, So that was like a weird dynamic, too. So then I started using Kumar to make Harold jealous. And there was one time specifically, I mean, this happened a lot of times. And then I would also use Harold to make Kumar jealous. Like there was, I was constantly pitting them against each other. But at the time I really, I did really have more feelings for Harold than I did for Kumar. And I remember there was this one day where Kumar had organized this boat trip for all of us. And he actually was the one who invited Harold on the boat trip. And that day, I was so excited that Harold was coming. And like in the beginning, you know, we're like taking pictures together, whatever. Everything's great. And then he's like not really paying attention to me and like hanging out on another side of the boat and like not talking to me that much. And um, I don't remember, like there may have been something where he was like texting some girl or something, but I started to get really annoyed. And I also like fully thought that Harold was staying over that night. Like I had cleaned my room. Like I had, I also used to eat in bed. Like I, you know, like I said, I wouldn't eat until night. So I wouldn't eat until I was in bed basically for the night because like I knew if I started eating earlier, I wouldn't be able to stop. So anyway, so I like vacuumed all the crumbs out of my bed. I'd cleaned the bathroom like everything was spick and span and like ready to go for a sleepover. You know, I'd like shaved my pussy. I had, you know, washed my hair, something I never fucking do now nor the other thing, quite frankly. Uh, Anyway, so I was really, really ready for this sleepover. And Harold is just like not paying me attention. And so then I'm like flirting with Kumar in front of Harold, just like really trying to make him jealous. And then I ended up going home with Kumar that night because like Harold was just like not giving me that attention. And that's how far I was willing to take this. Now, we didn't have sex or anything. We just made out. But I remember the entire night I was like, ugh. Like, I wish this was Harold. Like, this is so not what I want. This is so not the vibe. And even though, you know, I had been interested in Kumar months and months and months before that. And, you know, there was like that night where I was on his kitchen counter and I wanted to kiss so badly. Like, I remember the sexual tension that night. Like, not only could you not cut it with a knife, like you would need a fucking chainsaw and it still probably wouldn't have gotten through. That's how intense the sexual tension was that night. And then months and months and months later, like I was actually kissing him and I was like, nah, I wish this was Harold. 
I used to do the jealousy thing so fucking hard. And sometimes like during that era, I wouldn't even acknowledge that that's what I was doing, that I was trying to make them jealous. I'd just be like, "Uh whatever. I just like, you know, I just kind of like both of them and it's fun and it's not that deep. And I just like tried to pretend I was that kind of like chill, whatever kind of girl, which I like never fucking was. Um, Another really common form of like being quote unquote crazy and dating is calling or texting incessantly. That's like a really common thing with anxious attachment. But for me specifically, I generally had the wherewithal to really not want to do that. Like I would kind of try to wait for them to call or text me because I was so into my playing games era. But then if I was drunk, like I would fucking lose it sometimes. So back to the Harold and Kumar thing around that time, like not long after this, like maybe a couple weekends after this, one night we're all out and Harold's supposed to come back to my place. And I get that. I don't know why we didn't leave together, but I was like, whatever, I'm leaving. I'll meet you at my place. And I get back and he's not coming and he's not coming and he's not coming. And I'm hungry. okay? because I have not eaten probably in days at this point. And I'm like, if this man doesn't show up soon, like I'm going to eat. And the thing is, like, if I eat, I then wouldn't want to hang out with anyone because my guts were so bad at this point because I like never fucking ate that like if I'd even a bite of food, my tummy would like balloon and then I wouldn't want to be around a guy because I was just so deep in my eating disorder. So for me, it was always like either we're hanging out or I'm eating, but it's not both. And that created a lot of pressure. And so he's like not coming and he's not answering. And I fucking lost it and saw red and I was sitting on the kitchen floor hammered eating chips out of a bag and just sending him pages and pages and pages of rage texts being like you're so lame I can't believe I ever liked you like you're such a loser like just saying the worst things that could ever come to my fucking mind like the worst things that I could even conceive of because I was so angry because my sense of security was threatened like just by him not showing up it was creating this urgency in me to rekindle the situation. And I'd already felt like things were slipping since the boat night. And I'd been playing all these gnarly games and constantly using Kumar to try to make him jealous. And things were just spiraling more and more and more. And I think that this was like my weird fucked up way of trying to regain control. I don't know, yo. It was so fucking toxic, but like we've all been there. We've all sent fucking rage texts, right? So common, so relatable. And then I think the next step up from that is like full on threatening to break up. Now, I didn't do that with either of those guys because like we weren't actually together. But going back to two weeks ago when I talked about the comedian, so I talked about or was it last week that I talked about the app? Oh yeah, it was last week that I talked about the absinthe night, right? And then we didn't talk for like a little bit after that. So we ended up rekindling and we're now like officially together, together, together. And everything's like amazing. Like I remember when we first started talking again, it was a little up in the air. And around that time he was having a live show. And I remember he had a comp for me at the door. It was at the Gramercy Theater. And I remember I showed up and um, they're like trying to find me. And they're like, the guy at the door is like, wait, what's your relationship to him? And I was like, uh, if you find out, can you let me know too? And we both had a little chuckle. But then like right after that night, pretty much him and I talked and we became exclusive. And so we're like together. And, you know, he would like cry constantly about how much he loved me and how he had never felt this way. And he would call his friends and be like, oh, my God, I finally know what the meaning of love is. And it's so intense. And it's this like crazy feeling, blah, blah, blah. Like, honestly, I think he was just like high a lot of the time and just like kind of losing his mind. I don't know. Anyway, but we're like having so much fun together. Everything's so great. And, you know, we went to Portugal together and came back and I at this point had kind of started to get the ick and really started to see that this relationship was never about me and always about him and 
the only thing that he actually liked and cared about in me was how I made him feel. But he didn't really even know anything about me, let alone like or appreciate me. These things were kind of like festering in the back of my mind, but I wasn't seeing or acknowledging or admitting them in myself. And but like the tension is kind of building up. And then, oh, and also at this point, he was like mildly famous. So a lot of the time when we were places other than when we went to Europe, but like in America, he'd always be recognized and approached. And I was always a really good sport about it. But there were times where it was a little bit annoying. Like one time we were at a fish show together and we had eaten mushrooms and like, you know, I was tripping and I just like I didn't want like swarms and swarms of people approaching us for photos. And like it was just a little bit overwhelming, but I never, ever, ever complained. So fast forward, it's New Year's Eve. We're going to the fish show at Madison Square Garden. And we had been so fish does a four night run at Madison Square Garden for New Year's Eve. So we went to night one and night two. Um, we didn't go to night three and then night four was New Year's Eve itself. Now for New Year's Eve itself, we couldn't go to the show together because he, well, I mean, we could have, but he had to come to the show late because, um, he had to go to the Times Square New Year's Eve thing. Cause he was like booked to do something that year. And like I said, he was mildly famous at the time. And so I was like, that's fine. I'll go to the show by myself. And then when you get there, you'll get there. Um, so he's like, cool. And I like all day, I'm so excited. I'm like, we're going to have the most magical night together. Like I'd planned my outfit in advance. I was wearing a really cute, like form fitting dress. I didn't eat all day. I'd like starve myself so I could look like really snatched in the dress. And I had like this like fish print headband on and I was like we're gonna have the most magical night and I had like a matcha and I was like I'm gonna be like on and fiery and fun and like you know I'd been practicing my dance moves and like listening to all the music and like theorizing about what songs they're gonna play so I'm like in the know and like you know I can be like fun vibrant fish kind of girly and you know I'm all about it I'd been looking up at I'd been looking forward to it. I had so much weight on it. Like I just had so much riding on this night. Oh, I forgot why I had so much riding on this night. Okay. Up until this point, he had never posted me on his Instagram before. Um, and it was this whole thing. And so he's like, you know what? New Year's Eve, let's take a photo together. I'm going to post you on my Instagram and we're going to become like, we're hard launching the relationship on Instagram. And again, at the time, I had really, I was in such denial and in such repression of my own desire for spotlight. So I would seek out guys who were in the spotlight, this common theme, right? And so I had a lot riding on this post. And so that was I completely forgot why this night was such a big thing for me. So that's what it was. It was the anticipation and the excitement of this. So I'm at the show by myself. I'm having fun. I like meet this guy. We're kind of flirting. And um, and so we're like smoking a joint together. And I got a little too high. And I was like kind of freaking out. So then I was like, let me counteract it with alcohol. Terrible idea. Um, and so then I'm like kind of getting too drunk. And then the comedian shows up and he's like, oh, by the way, I invited my friend. And I was like, oh, cool. And he's like, yeah, it's my friend whose wife just died. So like, I'm not really going to be like too like touchy feely flirty with you because like, I don't want to upset him. And I was like, what? Like it's New Year's Eve. And not only is it New Year's Eve, but you promised me that it's the night that you're going to like finally go official uh, Instagram official with me. And I've been looking forward to this all day. Like I spent all fucking day getting ready and like looking as cute as humanly possible. And I haven't eaten in like 36 hours so that I could look snatched in this dress because you promised me a prime spot on your fucking grid. And now you're telling me your friend with the dead wife is going to be here by the way, it was like the most lovely person I've ever met in my life. Like he was so great and so fun. But it was just the fact that, and then also I was like a little too high. And like that day when, like clearly there was a lot of issues at the time. This was many years ago, guys. Like I've progressed a lot as a person, except for in the anger department has clearly displayed. But, um, but yeah, so I, <laughs> where was I going with this?
Yeah, like the day on the mushrooms, like I just needed support from him and he couldn't give it to me. But I also didn't have the self-awareness and I didn't I wasn't in tune enough with my needs because I all relationship long had been suppressing my needs and overperforming for him so that I could be indispensable to him and I could be as needless and wantless so that he would never leave me. Right. And Finally, all of these things just come bubbling out and I fucking lost it. I picked a fight with him at the fish show and broke up with him and was like, I never want to talk to you again. I'm blocking your number. I like caused such a scene. I like ran away from him. I literally blocked his number and was just like drinking more and more and more and more just like in hopes that he would fight for me. But I also think really in the back of my head, what I really, really wanted, like I knew deep, deep down that I didn't want to be with him anymore, but I just couldn't see it and admit it to myself because up until this point, I'd been celibate for seven years. So there was part of me that was like, well, I'm never going to find anyone else. Plus this guy has so many of the things that I want, like fame. (laughs) So like, I better not fuck it up, you know? Um, And like, I really thought that we were like meant to be together because of the way that we had met and things like that. Like I thought he was like my twin flame and all this shit. Right. So yeah, I picked that massive fight. Like I was trying to get him to fight for me. And the way that I have threatened to break up or like broken up with in an attempt to get guys to fight with me in like almost every single relationship that I've ever been in. And it's such a fucking common thing with anxious attachment. Like it's just so common. It's akin to a child having a meltdown or a tantrum in order to get their parents' attention. Um... And then there are like two other forms of like going crazy and dating that I want to talk about. One is ignoring them in an attempt to get attention. Now, this is one that I never really mastered because anytime I tried to do this one, (laughs) I would just end up caving because I didn't have the self-control to execute this one. But I actually tried to do that with the comedian after New Year's Eve. So after New Year's Eve, we ended up still going back to mine and like I kind of like acted like it didn't even happen. And then in the morning things were really awkward and then he went home and he like didn't talk to me he like like he never texted me and like a day and a half went by and so I was like I know what I'm gonna do I'm not gonna call him or text him or answer his calls or texts at all for like two weeks to really make him sweat and really make him wonder and like really kind of you know how like if you're like mad or upset at someone but then they start pulling away you're like wait wait, wait, you get over the thing that you're mad and upset about that's what I was trying to do I was trying to like create this strategy to get him reinvigorated but of course I like didn't have the self-control to actually execute that and like literally five minutes after after I came up with this plan in my head, I texted him. I was like, so what's going on? <laughs> um, so yeah. And then he literally broke up with me. And that brings me to the very last type of crazy that I used to do, which at that point I would get into the begging of it all. And so he's like, you know, every time that you get drunk, this shit happens, which by the way, it happened twice. Um, now maybe I was only drunk twice because it's not like I was like drinking that heavily all the time. It was absinthe night and New Year's Eve. Um, but I was like, like bargaining, like, oh, I'll never drink again. Like blah, blah, blah. Like literally begging and pleading. I was like, yesterday you were crying about how much you love me saying you will never, ever leave me. And now you won't even have a face to face conversation with me. But I like just zero level of self-respect, zero level of self-respect. I was literally begging this man to not break up with me. And the thing is, All of these behaviors are really rooted in nervous system dysregulation. Like the begging is essentially a form of fawning. Um, The rest of them are like fight, flight, freeze energy. They're all symptoms of sympathetic nervous system, like being in your sympathetic nervous system, which is so, so, so linked with anxious attachment. Now, I want to talk about how you can stop being so fucking crazy. (laughs) And before I get into that, I have to say 
There is one thing that's very commonly talked about in anxious attachment or like in attachment theory books and things like that. And that's this notion that if you have insecure, any type of insecure attachment, you should date someone who is securely attached. And that way your relationship will be harmonious. And like, you know, if you're someone who's anxiously attached and you date someone who's avoidant, you're both going to trigger each other more and drive each other further apart, which is true. But I really disagree with this. And I don't disagree that you should date someone who's secure. That I think is great advice. But I really, truly, passionately believe that you have to do the deeper work. Just dating someone who's secure is a very band-aid solution without actually treating the underlying infection. Like it's just going to keep it covered up. But if that band-aid starts to slip or it gets a little wet or like, God forbid, you wash your fucking hands and the band-aid just starts to like shrivel up and start to fall off, all hell fucking breaks loose. And there are two ways this can go really awry. And I see it literally every single day. Number one, even if you date someone who is reassuring you all the time and is really responsive and you consciously feel really secure in that relationship with that person, all of your other relationships will suffer. And I see this a lot and I have two really good examples of this. First, I had this friend Tanya in high school. And Tanya would always go for these like fuck boy avoidant types who were like never really giving her what she wanted and needed and like never communicating well and never being clear about their feelings and like never just like actually really telling her that they really liked her and wanted to be with her and things like that, right? And then first year of college, she started dating this guy who was the opposite, who was like really communicative with her and was constantly giving her all of the verbal reassurance that she wanted. And it was like everything she had wanted for all of these years. And so she thought like, great, everything's great now. No, everything was not great. Within three months of them dating, Tanya had literally zero friends left because the two of them just completely isolated themselves. They spent every single day together. They were always sleeping over. We're freshmen in college, okay? We were 18. Like, this is a time when everyone's, like, going out partying like your friends or your life, and they've completely isolated themselves. They're never going out. They're never interacting with anyone, and that's just how it was. So Tanya and I stopped being friends, but then, like, 15 years later, Tanya and I became friends again. And I just assumed that Tanya had grown up and she didn't do this shit anymore. And she was also in a really serious relationship at the time, 15 years later, when we rekindled. And she clearly was making time for her friendship. So I had no reason to believe that Tanya was still like this. Well, Tanya and that guy broke up and she started dating this other guy. And that's when I realized that the guy that she had been in the serious relationship with was actually the same type of shit that she used to do in high school. So this was someone who's really avoidant, who was like constantly toying with her. Their relationship was very hot and cold. They'd fight, break up and make up constantly, like on on a weekly basis towards the end. It was happening like multiple times a day where they're having these blow up, like breakup fights and then getting back together like a few minutes later. So she starts dating this other guy who's the opposite. He's like so great, like so verbally reassuring, constantly telling her all the things that he wants to hear, constantly telling her how he wants to marry her. He wants to impregnate her. He wants to do this. He wants to do that. He's so committed to her. And sure enough, Tanya stops talking to me so much. The only time she is talking to me, it's just to gush about how great this guy is. Like it was to the point where even Ozzy was like, she is literally the most annoying person I've ever met in my life. Like every, cause she was sending me like so many voice memos every day to only just gush about him and could not talk about anything else. And our friendship fizzled out again. And Tanya per usual lost every single friend that she had. And that's the thing. Like Tanya would find these guys and be like, this is a secure guy and I can now have a secure relationship. But the thing is, you can never truly have a secure relationship until you are really secure with yourself. And if you find someone who's secure and he's giving you that reassurance and not triggering and bringing out the crazy in you, in that relationship, trust me, you will still lose all of your friends. I have another friend, Rebecca, 
whose similar thing has always been anxiously attached. And she actually is not someone who would exhibit a lot of like the anxious attachment protest behaviors that I'm talking about. Like she wasn't like playing the games and trying to make guys jealous and stuff, but she was always like silently suffering in relationships. Like she'd always feel that anxiety and the spiraling and the overthinking and the hypervigilance and things like that. Right. She just like had the self-control to not go fully crazy like this bitch over here. Um, but then like, and she never, I mean, she did like normal, Normal amounts of inner work, like going to therapy and things like that, but not like the intense, specialized, anxious attachment treatment that I teach in the Blush Academy. And so she meets this guy who's really, really great. I love Rebecca's boyfriend. Like he's a wonderful, wonderful guy. I have nothing negative to say about him at all. And he's very secure with himself. He's very confident in himself. Like he knows exactly who he is and he's very great to her. He treats her really well. He's very communicative with her. He's, you know, just all of the things like shows up really great in their relationship. But as soon as they started dating, Rebecca starts. So like me, Rebecca, and we have another friend, Madeline, who are all in a group chat. We've been in a group chat since way before Rebecca started dating this guy. And it's really the three of us met through like doing inner work and self-improvement stuff. And our conversations would get really, really deep about like the inner work and the self-improvement stuff. And then as soon as Rebecca started dating this guy, she just like wouldn't respond to our message for like days at a time and then she would like pop in um right after like like basically they'd go away for the weekend and then he'd go back to work and that's when she'd like finally acknowledge us again and all she would really do like she'd kind of surface all the respond to our shit but like not really get into it or engage with us but just talk about like her weekend with this guy and all the things that he bought her and all the fun things that they did together so really what happened was like Madeline and I every time Rebecca would just like disappear for days at a time we just would start chatting separately because because like we didn't want or like it really wasn't even because we wanted to exclude her. It genuinely was because she just would disappear for so long and there would be like hundreds of messages. And it was like at that point, like she's never going to be able to catch up. So we're like, let's just have a separate conversation. She's like, obviously not around. And so now, like a couple years later, Madeline and I have this really deep relationship that has started because Rebecca has sacrificed everything in her life for this guy. And she really has has no meaningful relationships outside of the relationship with this guy because she sacrificed it all for him. So even though she consciously feels secure with him, it's very obvious that she doesn't actually feel secure in any way because if you're actually secure with your partner, then you're able to separate from them enough to be able to have relationships with other people. If you're constantly prioritizing your romantic relationship over everything else to the point where you're not capable of having other romantic or excuse me, other meaningful relationships in your life, then you're not actually secure with that person. That's not, that's a really good, clear sign that you're not actually secure. But beyond that, the worst that I've seen happen is people who start dating someone who's secure and they're like, great, all of the insecurities and the spiraling and the overthinking that I ever experienced has completely gone away. And it was all the fault of the avoidance that I was dating in the past. And now that I'm with a secure person, everything is fine. Everything is fine until something changes. So I think the best illustration I have of this is my friend Laura was always like really anxiously attached and always like overthinking things with guys and like freaking out and doing all this shit, playing games, trying to make them jealous, rage texting. Good God, this girl was the queen of sending rage texts. But she meets this guy, Tom, who's really, really secure and everything's going really well. He's giving her the verbal reassurance. He's constantly at her beck and call. She He never is letting her wonder or spiral or get to the point of spiraling because he's always so communicative and always with her. So like everything's fine. They get married. They had been together for like 12 years when this happened. His dad got cancer and they lived in L.A., they still live in LA. Um, his dad gets cancer. He's from St. Louis, I believe. And he goes back to St. Louis for like a month or two 
to be there for his dad and like help out his mom and stuff while his dad has cancer. And he's spending a lot of the time in the hospital with his dad. And Laura couldn't go to St. Louis with him because of her job. And while he's in St. Louis, he's not very communicative with her because he's just spending a lot of time with his family and his dad has cancer and he's in the hospital a lot. And you're not supposed to really be on your cell phone a ton in the hospital. And he's just trying to be really present for his family. And he didn't think much of it because they had been together for 12 years at this point. So he's like, well, she's got to be secure in our situation by now. We're like fucking married. We have two dogs together. Like everything's fine, right? Guess what? They're divorced now. They are divorced now because they just had never like her anxiety, her anxious attachment had always been there. It never went away. It's just that the symptoms of it were gone because the Band-Aid was gone, but the infection was still running there. Same thing with Tanya. Same thing with Rebecca. These people are running infections. They've opened gaping wounds that a secure partner is temporarily covering up. But in the case of Tanya and Rebecca specifically, we can see that the infection is seeping out and killing the rest of their relationships. And in the case of Laura, that band-aid slipped a little and the whole thing came fucking oozing out. So do not just rest on dating a secure partner as being the thing that fixes you. Honestly, I think that's just another iteration of Disney princess shit. Like, oh, I'll find the right guy and he'll make everything go away. Not necessarily, not necessarily. But the good news is there are actual things that you can do. You have the tools fully within your disposal to actually excavate this from the root out. And that way, it doesn't even matter. You don't even need that secure partner to get you there. You can get there on your own and then you will always have that for the rest of your life. So I'm just looking at the time here. Okay, we're almost at the hour mark. And honestly, the five steps that I have for fully getting there, it's going to take me a long time to go through. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to wrap it up here for today. And we're going to save the five steps for not next week because we're doing Am I the Asshole for two weeks from now. So come back for the full five-step breakdown of how to actually truly get to secure so that you stop doing this shit in dating and you can have meaningful relationships. Because I did it and I'm now in a great relationship. And unlike Tanya and Rebecca, I also have really fucking good friendships. And unlike Laura, my partner can go out of town and if shit pops off and we don't talk, I'm good. I'm still secure in our relationship. And you deserve to have that level of security such that it doesn't depend on someone else. If your sense of self-worth, if your sense of being, if your sense of security is reliant on someone else making you be secure, you're not secure. That's not real security. Okay. Now, as I talked about before, all of the types of like quote unquote crazy that we talked about today really are rooted in a sympathetic nervous system response, right? It's all fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. And we're going to talk a lot about nervous system regulation in two weeks when we get into all that. So I just want to reiterate what I talked about two weeks ago, the homework that I gave you. Please continue this because I want you to really become aware of your nervous system such that when we get into it more in two weeks, you'll be able to really truly implement these tools. So if you didn't do this two weeks ago, please start it now. If you did do it two weeks ago, please continue it. Set an alarm for two times a day. And when the alarm goes off, take note of your physical symptoms, your cognitive symptoms, and your emotions. So for the physical stuff, take note of like how fast your heart is beating, how your breath is. Is it shallow? Is it short? Is it long? Is it deep? 
Um, are you sweating? Are you trembling? Are you hot? Are you cold? Are you experiencing an urge to run? Are you experiencing an urge to cry? Are you experiencing an urge to yell or cause a scene? Are you dizzy, nauseous, numb? Are your shoulders tight? Are they up high? Um, is your jaw tight? Things like that. As far as the cognitive, are you having racing thoughts? You don't need to get into the thoughts themselves, but just become aware of them existing. Um, are you having negative thoughts? thoughts? Are you having difficult thoughts? Are you having a difficult time thinking? Are you having a difficult time speaking? Are you having any sort of negative thoughts about yourself or about other people? Again, you don't need to try to change anything. Just become aware of these things. And then on the emotions, just see if you can label your emotion. Are you happy, sad, fearful, angry, shame, guilt, frustration, apathy, helplessness? Just what emotion are you feeling? And if you're in the Blush Academy, there is a blush feelings wheel somewhere in the nervous system course that you can use that can be really helpful for this. Um, and if you're not in the academy, honestly, like DM me and I'll send it to you. Now, before we wrap up, we just have our two last segments of the week. Um, one is foods that make you blush, where we talk about foods and nutrients that really support what we learned here this week. And I thought that because a lot of the things that I talked about this week really come from not just a sympathetic activation, but specifically it's a lot of fight energy. It's a lot of anger and irritability and things like that that caused a lot of that behavior. I wanted to talk about foods that can pacify anger. So number one, chia seeds. Chia seeds for two reasons. Number one, they're really rich in omega-3 fatty acids, which are linked to, well, omega-3 deficiency is linked to irritability. And chia seeds have a ton of fiber and the type of fiber that they have are really, really good for bowel movements. And listen, we all fucking know that when you're constipated, you're more angry. Um, spirulina, again, very rich in omega-3 and it's a different type of omega-3 than the type in chia seeds. The type in chia seeds are ALAs, whereas spirulina is rich in DHA and EPA, which for a lot of people is more absorbable. But I just think it's nice to hit all the different formulations of omega-3s. And again, um, omega-3 deficiency is linked to irritability, Pumpkin seeds, they are rich in the amino acid L-arginine, and they're also rich in zinc, both of which are nutrients that are really essential for mood regulation. Um, cacao, cacao is really, raw cacao specifically, is really rich in magnesium, and quite frankly, magnesium is probably the single most important mineral for nervous system regulation as a whole. Brazil nuts are the best source of selenium in the world. And there has been a specific study that found that um, when a control group was given, I believe, 100 micrograms of selenium a day, they found over time that the control group was way less angry. I mean, the test group was way less angry than the control group. And then the last one, kind of lame, kind of cheesy, but sunshine. Even in the winter, if you can just try to get a little bit of sunshine on your face, it makes such a big difference because a lack of vitamin D is really strongly linked with anger. And getting vitamin D through sunshine really is like really kind of the only way we can get it in nature. I mean, the other way, the way that they make vitamin D supplements is um, two ways. One they pull it off of sheep's skin because it's our skin that converts sunshine into vitamin D. Like it's not, vitamin D isn't actually found in anything in nature. It's skin that converts it. So either they pull it off of sheep's skin or the vegan formulation of it is that they, um, mushroom gills do the same thing as our skin. So the gills convert the sunlight into vitamin D. Um, but really like just sunshine is the best way to get it. So like if it's ever fucking sunny, just run outside and try to show as much skin as you can. And that's that on that. And we end every show with a little bit of gratitude. And the reason that we do that is because practicing gratitude is scientifically proven to make you a happier person. And I know you might be thinking to yourself, this bitch doesn't seem happy, but I would just like to say, given what I'm dealing with, I actually think... I think my temperament 
<laughs> stunning given my situation, okay? <laughs> I don't think anyone could be doing a better job than I am. No, truly. It's these practices that are my buoy. Like I genuinely think if I wasn't practicing gratitude, breath work, exercise, and eating all the nutritious food, and then sharing all this shit with you guys, I don't think I'd be alive right now. And that actually, you know what brings me to my first grateful? I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to share all of this knowledge that I've accumulated over the past 25 plus years of doing research in this shit. I mean, I really started when I was in high school. So like really, no, sorry, 20 years. I couldn't do math. Um, I'm not 45. Okay, no, the 20, the past 20-ish years of like doing intense research into this. By the way, there's some kind of crazy sound coming in my apartment. Like it literally sounds like a spaceship is landing. So I'm going to wrap this up to figure out like what, what is happening here. And if you never hear from me again, either I died from exhaustion or the aliens took me. But honestly, if the aliens take me, I bet they take this recording too. I've heard that they do not like being recorded. Um, anyway, <laughs> I'm really grateful that I get to share all this with you guys because I never, like I was always interested in this stuff, but it wasn't until shit really popped off in my life like this with Samantha and I can only sleep like max five and a half, six hours every night that I see how fucking important this shit is. Like have your systems in place now so that if God forbid something goes wrong, you can hold it. Like if I hadn't done the entire Blush Academy nervous system course in 2023 and like continued to practice it every single day, I can tell you with full certainty, I would be dead right now. There's no way I could cope with the physical and emotional strain that this has put on me. There's no way I would be alive right now. I mean, I was lying on the sidewalk earlier today, okay? And that's with all of the stuff that I do. But if not for that, I don't think I'd be here. Um, I am grateful. I wish, I, I, I don't think the mics are going to pick it up. It is a fucking nuts sound. Um, You know what? The sound just stopped for a second. So I'm grateful for that because I think I will lose my mind if I have to hear this all night. And I am grateful. Okay. I don't usually like to say that I'm grateful for Ozzy because the whole point of the gratitude practice is to say three new things that you're grateful for every week and not repeat yourself. But I'm going to say something very specific about him. I think that I've always dated guys where either I was like really, really excited about them, but I always felt like uncertain and uneasy towards them, like Harold and Kumar both, or I was settling for these guys who felt really safe and the type of guy who's like giving you everything you want and giving you all the verbal reassurance and like taking places. But there was always a part of me that's like, I don't know if I even like this guy. Like there would be times where I'd be like, I don't know, I kind of have the ick and I just feel really uncertain about this. And like, you know, I try to power through and be like, maybe it'll come around. But I was always a little uncertain I'm so grateful that I found someone that has the strengths of both sides. Like I, from the very first time I met Ozzy, was like, I fuck with this guy so hard. Like I had the level of excitement about him that I had about Harold and Kumar, but I have the level of safety with him that I had with those like losery guys that I was trying to settle for because I was like, this is a secure guy and this is the type of guy I should date. And I now have both of those things in one person. And honestly, if you want to have that shit too, keep listening to this podcast because I will get you there, baby. Okay. Love you guys. Bye.